Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you live from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, reflecting into this rich topic of the Church Fathers, the great ancient Christian thinkers of our Christian faith. And as I have John O'Hara typically with me each and every Tuesday, I was without him last week. I had George Wing in his stead, but uh, John O'Hara is back with me. So, John, it is great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. So, John, this evening we have the opportunity to wrap up our what we call Cappadocian Fathers. Two weeks ago it was uh, St. Basil the Great. Last week it was St. Gregory of Nazianzus. And this week it is St. Gregory of Nyssa. Now, all three of these saints had a very important role in the East, all doctors of the Church, and in particular in Cappadocia in modern-day Turkey. You know, when I was driving over here, John, I was thinking about the importance of the number three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Of course, you have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you go into Scripture, we have uh, Peter, James, and John. It would appear that Christ has his own inner circle, huh? And if you were to think about it functionally, there's something about three. You know, you, you think about a ship, you have a navigator, you have a first mate, uh, you have a captain. Uh, we see in literature this picked up. If you were to uh, go to J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, what do you have? You have a very important three in Gandalf, Frodo, and of course, Aragon. Um, for all of you Russian lit scholars out there, you know, if you've studied the Karamazov brothers, you know that you have a very important three there in uh, Ivan, Alyosho, and of course, Dmitri. Uh, again, for all of you Russian scholars out there. And how about, uh, you know, sticking Star Trek, uh, John, <laughs> and of course, Spock, Captain Kirk, and uh, Scotty. I mean, there's something about three that helps us to, to gather the whole. Now, I don't, go, I don't want to go too far on this ta- tangent, but it's enough to say that we have an important three uh, with the Church in the East and these great Cappadocian fathers. Again, Cappadocia in modern-day Turkey, as, and as George noted last week, not to be confused with uh, a cappuccino. Right? right. <laughs> so, St. Gregory of Nyssa. John, what do we know about St. Gregory of Nyssa? Well, we know rather a lot. Yeah. Of the three, he was the best writer, the, the mystic. His writings are, are more profound, and so there's more of them. Uh, if you take a look at St. Basil the Great, known for being a leader and an administrator, mm-hmm. if you take a look at Gregory of Nazianzen, good bishop, excellent preacher, as was another Orthodox uh, man from Cappadocia, John mm-hmm. system, whom we'll get to later. And Gregory of Nyssa was criticized by his older brother Basil for being a poor administrator, not being <laughs> forthright enough with the emperor, mm-hmm. and also for being a little lazy with his finances mm-hmm. of the diocese. So, mm-hmm. uh, Just a quick interjection there, John. I mean, how important is that to see that what our diocese struggle with today as it relates to, you know, balancing our budgets, they were struggling with 1,700 years ago, huh? <laughs> Remember, Basil, though, was the administrator par excellence in those times. Anyway, Gregory was born in 335, 
and died uh, in 394. We really don't know when he died, but he was at a in Constantinople for a synod, and we never heard from him again. Now, I just want to remember, remind everybody that Gregory of Nyssa came from a fabulous family. Mm-hmm. His mother and father are both saints. St. Basil, his older brother, is a saint. He has another older brother who was a saint, and then he has a sister who is also a saint, whom I'm quite impressed with, St. Uh, Macrina. Really, uh, he, he was there when she died. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he goes, he gets an, Gregory of Nyssa gets an excellent education, as they all did. And they, he goes to Athens, and he kind of majors, shall we say, in rhetoric and philosophy. Rhetoric. Everybody seems to major in rhetoric. It's the mm-hmm. most popular major of its day, because that's how you persuaded people. And if you could persuade people, you could become powerful, a politician, whatever. Okay, so yeah, rhetoric. The, the rhetoric, you know, the, the word rhetoricus is um, speech. And you said it, it, persuasion, the art of persuasion, one who is a skilled uh, speaker. In many ways, we've lost this today, John. I think this this great uh, major. I think we've drummed it down, and uh, we call it now. I think humanities. <laughs> it's it's lost its it's gone its, its vibrancy. <laughs> the communications is not the same yeah. as rhetoric. Well, anyway, he goes off to get this education, and he's a still a little bit worldly, and he gets married, and then it was Gregory of Nazianzus that kind of said, "You should become a priest." Now, we don't know what happened to the wife. She may have gone into a convent. I mean, she was quite holy herself. Mm-hmm. And he went in, he, uh, he went to a, on the Iris River, where, there, uh, where St. Basil had a monastery. He goes there. And uh, by the way, his, his older sister is there. St. Macrina is there. And he gets ordained. He, now he's now a priest. Now, remember, in those days, you could be married and be a priest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't hear about, the, at least other than the fact that he was married, we don't hear of the wife again. Ordained by his brother, by the way, right, Basil? Ordained by his mm-hmm. brother and consecrated to a bishop by his brother because his brother wanted to have control of this town of Nisa, so mm-hmm. he sends his brother there. And so he goes to Nisa, and he's, he, he becomes a bishop when he's 36 years old in 371. And uh, he's there for a while, and he begins to be having trouble from Arians. We've heard a lot about that. That is this big heresy that's been going on for several years. And they try to throw him out of the diocese for financial irregularities. And Valens is the emperor of Rome. And mm. he is going to go wherever the wind blows. He's a politician. <laughs> and Arians seem to be in the upper hand. And so St. Gregory of Nyssa leaves his diocese for about two years. Valens dies, replaced by another emperor. And he comes back and he remains in Nyssa for the remainder of his life. And he is, in fact, promoted to be... Um, fellow who's kind of an overseer, mm-hmm. and he uh, goes to several synods. And in fact, he gives a speech for the uh, funeral of a princess, and then he gives another funeral oration for the empress, Pachilia. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, if she's an empress, she must be the wife of... Uh, of, of yeah. Okay, and yeah. The, if you're, you're the princess, she must be the daughter. So he was giving some pretty important talks, so he must have been in some kind of political favor. Mm-hmm. And he's quite holy. We'll get into that. But mm-hmm. this guy is um, a very good mind and just orthodox. Now, remember, orthodox means correct teaching. And all three of these saints kept Christianity Christian through all of these controversies about who is Christ, what is his nature. And if you get Christ wrong, Christianity is going to be goofy. You're not yeah. going to have Christianity for very long. But it was these guys that insisted, among others, that Christ was both God and man. You know, one nature mm-hmm. with two persons. Yeah. Okay? 
And, you know, as you're talking there, John, there's several things that stand out to me. First, you know, again, as we talk about three and these three saints, you know, you say, well, he had, uh, he had these weaknesses. His brother kind of gets on him. Well, what's going on here? We have to appreciate, we always have to appreciate the, the dynamics of the body of Christ. In St. Basil, he was the doer. St. Gregory of Nazianzus, he was the visionary. He's the one who had this great imagination. As you noted in St. Gregory of Nyssa, we have this man who's the thinker. And an orator. I mean, John, you were talking about his orations to uh, the political court. I think to some extent, some of that probably had to do with just the way in which people loved to listen to eloquence. You know, to be a rhetorician is one who is skilled in speaking. What does that mean? One who is a poet, one who can use images, allegory, parables, that kind of thing. Um, so it's important to see how these three come together, and they give us a more complete picture of uh, how we are called to see the body of Christ. Now, as it relates to what you're talking about there, John, to orthodoxy, I think that's an important term, correct teaching. Uh, the orthodoxa literally translates the correct worship, too, huh? So he was called a pillar of orthodoxy. As you noted, he was a defender of the faith, as all of these great men in the golden age of doctrine, as we've talked about it during this fourth century, are all great defenders of the faith. Now, as one who was a defender of the faith, then he is not necessarily known as a great apologist, but he was certainly an apologist. Therefore, he got into this discipline of defending the faith, apologetics. And as we've talked about Arianism in the past, one could stand to briefly reflect upon how he helped also defend another heresy that was rising up, that was yes. following the teachings of Apollinaris. Now, he looked upon Christ in a similar way that Arius did, but he put a focus on the de-emphasis of Christ's capacity to humanly reason. There was such an overemphasis on his divinity, therefore this led uh, Apollinaris to see Christ's capacity to reason as not like that of man. Uh, so what does he do? He defends this by going into Scripture and showing how Christ literally reasons. Yes. Which I think for us today, John, let's make our discussion here really practical and really contemporary. We need to rekindle a sense of how to reason. And how do we do that? Well, we follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. We imitate Christ. You know, he's asked over 300 questions about who he is, what he's doing, why he's come. And you might think, well, what does he do? He answers those questions with an answer? No. Because he's Raboni, because he's master teacher, and any good Jewish rabbi would do so, he answers the question with the question so as to get the person he's talking to to take ownership of what he's saying. See, this is the craft of one who understands human reason, certainly draws from the source of his heavenly father, but he's also engaging man on the level of man. Yes. And he's bringing them up to see deeper truths. And he does so through this capacity, this human capacity to reason. He's applying logic, right? Because logic is the instrument to reason. So when he's asked a question, he answers the question with a question. Or, or he'll offer a parable. And in that parable, in that story, he'll get the person he's talking to to think more critically. Okay? See, this is what the likes of a St. Gregory of Nyssa wants us to see today. I mean, how many questions are we asked, John, where we just answer and we're on our way? If we're serious about our discussion, 
Let us re-examine how we enter into that discussion, John, and answer a question with a question. Let us learn from the master. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so this is the kind of thing that he was about in his apologetics and his evangelization. He was very zealous, okay? Uh, Pope Benedict XVI, Benedict Emeritus XVI, talks about this. He was very zealous. Uh, so very important. Yeah, he was. L- last week, you and um, you, t- you talked about Yosemite. Mm. George, mm-hmm. you mentioned Yosemite, and you had been there on vacation. And uh, this just thought just wafted through me earlier today that uh, Gregory of Nyssa felt man was a beautiful... Remember, we are created in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. been to Yosemite and stood on the valley floor, which to me just is... is mm. And I look at these huge... These, and I realize how insignificant I am. Mm-hmm. God made this. Yeah. And here I am. <laughs> and Gregory of Nyssa realized this. And he wants men to be as beautiful as Yosemite, so to speak. And one of the things he wants is purity. Mm-hmm. And if you can, uh, purity to me, uh, to us, is a lot of sexual purity. But yeah, he really wants you to be pure as one of the essential beginnings of having a deep relationship with Christ. Yeah. And uh, I know you mentioned a little earlier about Christ. You know, I'm thinking of the rich young man who comes up to Christ and says, you know, what must I do to be saved? Well, he says, Christ says, what are the two great commandments? Well, to love God and you have to like for men. Okay, go do that. Christ says to him, Well, I want more than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> Christ, well, mm-hmm. okay, you want more than that? I'll tell you. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah. Know, and a good lesson. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Very much yeah. so. You know, you're talking about that, John. Um, and there's a beautiful excerpt here from St. Gregory and Nyssa's work where he's talking about what you were just talking about in relationship to this gift that we've been given to, to, to have the capacity to be like God. And this is what, what he says. The sky was not made in God's image. Not the moon, not the sun, not the beauty of the stars, no other things which appear in creation. Only you, human soul, were made to be the image of nature that surpasses every intellect. Likeness of incorruptible beauty, mark of true divinity, vessel of blessed life, image of true light, that when you look upon it, you become what he is. Because through the reflected ray coming from your purity, you imitate him who shines within you. Nothing that exists can measure up to your greatness. Boy, that's beautiful. It really is. And there he's talking about the beauty, that quality, that all-important quality of beauty. A great challenge for us today, huh, John? I mean, do we worship the earth or do we worship the one true God who created the earth, huh? Another little quote from him. Divinity is purity. It is liberation from the passions and the removal of every evil. If all these things are in you, God is truly in you. Mm. Amen. That is, you know, yeah, right. That is, that's good stuff. Yeah, and this is what lies at the heart of his catechesis. He is also known as a great catechist because he gives us these two great teachings on the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. And if there was a mark, if you will, of his teaching on the Beatitudes, it was his emphasis on purity. Why? Because he is also the father of mysticism, okay? And so there was an emphasis on purity, divine light. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in the Beatitudes. So as he focuses in on this, he tells us something. You and I and all out there who teach the faith, if we are going to be catechizing Um, our Christian and Catholic faith, if we are going to be instructing the faith, we must root it 
in this moral theology and at the same time grounded in this spiritual theology of prayer. So if you were to go to our catechism, John, it's really interesting. Section three is very much made up of the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes, okay, the moral life in Christ. You go into the Beatitudes in the catechism and you see St. Gregory of Nyssa quoted a number of times, right? Why? Because this was his focus. He also teaches a great deal in the Lord's Prayer. What is section four made up of the catechism? Spiritual theology, prayer, really using the Lord's Prayer for us to better understand what prayer is all about. And once again, you see St. Gregory of Nyssa being quoted a number of times. So if you look at the catechism itself, sections three and four, you can see a direct link to uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa's catechesis, which I think is very relevant for us today because as Benedict notes, his structure of how he catechized is what we need to be thinking about today, that there is a moral imperative in our catechesis, that whatever we're teaching about, we always have to go back to the question, how does this make us a better person? Okay. The word catechism, yes. But what, Joe, do you mean by the word catechize? The word catechesis comes from the Greek katecheo to inform, to orally resound, okay? To resound the voice. To to resound the voice of Christ. Catechize is a word deriving out of catechesis that speaks to the process of instructing someone in the faith. Yeah. Now, for all of that being said, where does St. Gregory of Nyssa go as it relates to this moral imperative, uh, the Lord's Prayer? He wants us to see the importance of this call to a journey forward, to journey on, in the language of Paul's letter to the Philippians, to press on. This idea of being perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect as Christ says. You and I both know, John, that we are never going to attain perfection this side of the heavenly Jerusalem. And so what Christ is talking about there in Matthew 5:48 is what St. Gregory of Nyssa picks up and wants us to see. You never retire from conversion. Yes. It's, it's this idea of being on pilgrimage. He wants us to see that there's always going to be a gap between the person that we are and the person that we ought to be. And so this is very much what lies at the heart of his catechesis. I came across Gregory of Nyssa probably around 2004 when I was reading a book in which he was mentioned prominently. It wasn't about him, but he was mentioned prominently. And I think one of the great catecheses or teachings is the example you get. Not only mm. what you say but who you are and who your listener perceives you are deep down. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I kind of got the impression when I read about him, this guy was the real McCoy. Mm -hmm. This guy Mm -hmm. really was it. And that impresses anyone, you know? Yeah, because we have to remember that (laughs) our authority comes from Christ living within us. Okay, And, And this is the mystical element to... Uh, what St. Gregory of Nyssa is all about. Again, I've used the word mystical already. We ought to define this. When we talk about St. Gregory of Nyssa being the father of mysticism, what are we saying? I think the best way to define mysticism is this. It is the aim to open up the way to God to be approached. Um, John, to, to be beheld, to be lived, to be experienced, rather than what is just objectively understood. So it's entering into this more subjective relationship with God, this more personal relationship with God, this relationship that comes out of certainly a life of prayer. We study things about God 
But what we must never forget is that God dwells within. So this is what uh, Pope Francis was talking about last week in his homily where he says, your Christian identity is not about attaining a theology degree or five theology degrees. It's about having a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he carried on what this looks like. He says, hey, you know, a, a grandmother who's been praying for her grandchildren can have as much access to the courtroom of God and even maybe more as it relates to uh, her calling than someone who has five degrees. Now, was he demoting theology? No, he was talking about this idea that's out there that, you know, I can only understand God if I study something about God. And it gets to the heart of this point. It's about God within, tapping into that source, that grace that has been given to us at baptism, and that source essentially animating who we are. And here's the thing, and Paul talks about this a great deal, okay? To be able to draw from that source that is within is to draw from wisdom, not intelligence necessarily, because Satan was supremely intelligent, but he didn't have wisdom because wisdom, that great supernatural gift that allows us to see the hidden ways of God always starts on bending knee. Last week, you and George talked about praying while kneeling down. Mm -hmm. And I have thought about that since I heard the show. And yes, the grandmother. But take a look. We have three saints, and they're all different. Administrator, uh, great visionary, mm -hmm. mystic. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and God loves all of them, and we need all of them for our church and Amen. for us. Yeah, but the bended knee aspect of our religious life has to be there. Now, you guys mentioned, what does it take to be a saint? A word I heard earlier was humility. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. uh, that is a quote, I think, from St. Teresa of Avila. By the way, George is going to be leaving for Spain on Thursday mm -hmm. to visit St. <laughs> yeah. Teresa. We wish him well. Pray yeah. for him. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but humility, I think, is is a first requirement, I think, to be a saint. And what is humility? Yes, it comes from the word humus, but it's who am I in the sight of God? Mm -hmm. St. Gregory of Nyssa says, spiritual poverty is voluntary humility. Ooh. Spiritual poverty is voluntary humility. Uh, I think that to be very important in light of what you're saying right now, yeah. because again, you see how humility and being poor in God are collectively twin towers of what it means to be a saint. And as we're talking about this mystical element to St. Gregory of Nyssa, John, it brings us back to our, our last few saints. We, we emphasize this contemplation and action. This was very important to St. Gregory of Nyssa as well. He saw within the mystical component that out from that union with God, out from that love for God, then you turn towards neighbor. You live in God, and that orders your proper compass for other. St. Gregory spoke to this mystical component of serving other when he would talk about this rising to God in prayer through a purity of heart and how it allows us to see that as we love neighbor in turn, this love is a ladder that actually leads to God. Consequently, why we see Gregory strongly recommend to all of his listeners, John, the need to be generous to others, those who are victims of misfortune, those who are hungry, those who go deprived. So for St. Gregory, he wants us to see that there's this mystical component to the act, to the deed. But he certainly would gather us in and say to you and I, John, and all of our listeners, we cannot see with clarity what God wants us to do 
if we first fail in our contemplation of God. Another thing that got me about St. Gregory of Nyssa is comparing him to his brother Basil. Mm-hmm. He was probably a little shyer, mm-hmm. and Basil says, okay, you're going to go out to this town called Nyssa and be a bishop. Oh, I don't want to. Go, come on, go on out there. He went out there. Mm-hmm. This is really not, he feels, his gift, but this is where he's supposed to. This is where his brother told him to go, mm-hmm. and his brother, I mean, he looked upon his brother as his real mentor. And um, off he goes, and uh, he well, finds himself involved in situations, and he might have felt himself a little incompetent, he gets removed, but he's there. He mm-hmm. goes to these synods. He does things he may not feel that comfortable with, but he does them, and effectively, and writes, and brings his talents to God. Amen. To That's a widely important uh, point, John, because what we must understand as it relates to our Christian Catholic faith, is that we need to get out of our comfort zone. Yes. We need to challenge ourselves, because if if we are not getting out of our comfort zone, then how are we possibly going to be the best version of who God is calling us to be? We need to stretch ourselves. And I'm just not talking about some sort of mental elasticity. I'm talking about getting out of your comfort zone physically and going out there and doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. You mentioned it, St. Basil um, was not only brother, but he was father and teacher yeah. to, to, to Gregory of Nyssa. And uh, he held a great deal of respect for him. So if, if Basil said it, he would follow his, uh, his command. And this is, this is part of the wisdom of the church, especially when you have great spiritual leaders like Basil saying, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, especially if it is, in fact, getting out of your comfort zone. You know, a lot of people, t- you know, say today, well, why would, why would God call me to do this? Or why would God call me to do that? Because, you know, that's not... The, the gifts or talents that God has entrusted me with. And I'll be the first one to say, God is all about utilizing your talents and, you know, and what he's given you and all that. But we also have to be able to take a step back. And this brings us back to some of our first programming, John, but appreciate the 12 apostles being uh-huh. called into something that, John, for all intents and purposes, no one in their right mind would have predicted. And if they would have, who would have they selected? If there's one of the 12 that they would have pointed out and said, he should be a follower of Jesus, they would have selected Judas because he had all the quote-unquote credentials. But this is the wisdom of God. And remember the wisdom of God, the unexpected, the unconventional way. St. Gregory of Nyssa in the end, John, wanted us to see that mystical union is about our desire becoming God's desire. And what a great lesson it is that St. Gregory of Nyssa teaches us. Now, last uh, week, you and George mentioned primitive church. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, these fathers, we have been on the... Fa- Studying fathers is very popular these days. You can hear about yes. the fathers on all kinds of shows. Yeah, yeah. And um, thanks be to God. But um, these fathers kind of, I mean, going back to our own country, those early guys, we were so lucky to have the crowd that wrote the Constitution... Mm-hmm. And our first six presidents were, okay, Yeah, we yeah. were lucky to have these guys. God was with us. The Holy Spirit was with us to have these saints with us for our first several hundred years. Amen to that, John. And as we wrap up our evening and kind of look back, just not into tonight, but the past three weeks, we must ask the question, what have the Cappadocian fathers given us? Among so many things stands, I think, one, a deeper sense of what that contemplation and action looks like. We've talked about holiness, and we've talked about prayer, and all of the church fathers to a point. 
But this deeper sense of contemplation and action is really what uh, the life of the Cappadocian father was all about. And this is what we can glean from their subject matter and really apply it. That out from that deeper meditative and contemplative prayer, we are made to see that all that we do and all that we teach and all that we write and all that we hear about is that much richer because of it. Because whether or not we are a visionary, a doer, or a thinker, John, it all needs to be rooted in this deeper contemplation. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.